I think coaches have the most important job in the United States right now in, in any capacity. And it's because this is where kids are being exposed to authentic life. You know, I just, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Went to modern day, went to Boise State, had cup, cup coffee in all nine cities in Canada, and then uh, started coaching and life's pretty good. When we, when we leave this room, it, we're gonna have one voice and one heart and one message. And that's what we're gonna deliver. And we're all gonna believe it. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Max Price and you are listening to the High School Coaches Club. This episode is a pretty cool one for me. Uh, Back in the 2011-12 school year, I was a lowly student teacher at Glencoe High School in Hillsborough, Oregon, Roll Tide. It also just happened to be the first year at Glencoe for newly hired principal Bob McCauley. It was a really small world moment for me. Uh, The gorgeous gal I was dating at the time, and who I happened to marry, had graduated from Sisters High School in Sisters, Oregon back in 2008. Her principal then, Bob McCauley. I sat there as Bob introduced himself to the teaching staff for the very first time. I listened as he gave his culture talk. Here's who we were. Here's who we are. Here's who we want to become. As iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen each other. Be the leader in the gap. I was mesmerized. It's not how I expected a principal to talk. I felt like I was back in high school, you know, like tuned into my coach. Of course, Bob was a football guy through and through, so it's no wonder he sounded like such a coach. Now his coaching days are long since over, but a man who played at Modern Day, Boise State, and professionally, a man who coached for decades, who won two state titles and sisters, a man like that doesn't stop being a football coach just because he's no longer coaching football. And if you don't know what I mean, you certainly will by the time you finish listening to Bob here today. As you prime your ears for Coach McCullough, you'll notice something a little bit different about this episode. I wanted to give Bob as much space as possible to just talk, to present, to share some of the core concepts he shared at clinics in which he's spoken. So while it starts out in a similar way to previous shows, you'll realize it shifts, probably about halfway through, to more of a clinic-style talk. You'll learn a lot. I know I did. So here's my conversation with Bob McCauley, the football coach who's now enjoying much calmer days in Montana, where he's teaching middle school kids how to write. Bob McCauley, welcome welcome to the show. It's awesome to have you on. Well, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for thinking of me and cup of coffee and talking about sports. It's awesome. <laughs> and beautiful and raining over here in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in Montana. It's a little sunnier. So Yeah, no kidding. Uh, small world stuff. So um, you were my wife, uh, Brandy's uh, high school principal. And then um, years later, in fact, the first year I was dating her, I ended up as a student teacher at Glencoe High School, which just happened to be your first year as the principal there. So small world. That's how we got to know each other. Yeah, it's awesome, too. And uh, I tell you, Brandy, uh, Brandy is a winner. She is such a great kid. So, well, I know she's growing up now and she's your wife. But to me, you know, still a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to give you a chance. Uh, you've had a really cool sports life um, going all the way back to even to high school, really. So would you mind just taking us back to your own playing career from high school up through professional football? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I feel like back then we, we, we came over and covered wagons and unloaded the leather helmets to start playing. That's how, <laughs> how it feels. But, uh, <clears throat> I went to a Catholic school in Southern California called modern day high school. And, 
the athletics there are, um, you know, it, it's a great athletic school, but more importantly, um, I would redo high school uh, to be at modern day just because they value tradition. They, uh, you know, they did things right. They instilled values in us um, and, and they held the line. Uh, they didn't let us uh, waver left or right. You know, it's just uh, either you're with us or, or you're not. And um, so at modern day, uh, the last, geez, I think the last two out of the last three years, modern days won the national championship in football, high school national championship. And back then we had a, had excellent players and it was a seven team league and six of the quarterbacks in that league went on to start in division one and three of them played in the NFL. So I just thought every quarterback was great. Um, I didn't realize, you know, that uh, we were playing, you know, you just play, you line up and play. So I started as a sophomore uh, at modern day in football and then started as a freshman on the baseball team. So I love baseball. I was a catcher and uh, it was just a lot of fun. I, I, I then went to Boise state I had some success there, played on some great teams, great players. Um, basically, I played defense, and all I had to do was run and tackle. And um, and so we had a lot of success. We were the number four team in the nation that year. Um, that was before they their Division One. We beat San Jose State the year that they had beaten Stanford, and we beat Utah State. And so we, we were we were making the break to Division One, and we were the league champions, and and then, um, but I, I was surrounded by just fortunate to play with great players. And again, everybody bought in. Uh, everybody put themselves under everybody else's needs, and including the best players. And um, that, that made all the, all the difference in the world. And then was fortunate enough to go up into Canada and hang out there for two years. I was with Edmonton on their taxi squad. Warren Moon was a the quarterback then. Uh, up there. And, uh, you know, I just learned some valuable things that that team was not run like a professional team. It was the head coach, uh, Hugh Campbell. Uh, I, I think I think the reason I ended up playing pro ball is because God wanted me to go learn some things, debrief a little bit and uh, figure out some things about life because Hugh Campbell was the head coach and he didn't even allow whistles at practice. He thought they were almost demeaning and they irritated him. And so um and he was really soft-spoken. Now, he would yell during games, but, I mean, he would just whistle with his lips, and, uh, it, and, and it was like a dog whistle. Everybody would freeze for about 150 yards and come running to him. And, um, and I, I just remember the lessons from him. Uh, one day, this, this lady, Mrs. George, we're in Edmonton, and she came to every practice, and she was this older lady, and, every, and all the players said hello to Mrs. George, and you know, she just was the sweetest gal, but she's probably 75, 80. And um, anyway, uh, it was a rainy, windy day. And uh, we looked over in the stands there and there was Mrs. George and uh, Miss George and uh, her plastic poncho was flying all over and she was just lost in this poncho. And our head coach uh, walks off the field in the middle of practice, walks up about 15 rows and sits down and fixes her poncho and sits with her for about five minutes. And I'm thinking, man, this, this is, this is different. This is, this is a different place. And um, they won six gray cups in a row. 
Uh, I never got part of that. I ended up playing with Saskatchewan, got picked up by them, and then played with Saskatchewan, uh, the Rough Riders, um, uh, for another year and uh, some change. Uh, and then uh, their, their their middle linebacker got healthy. But by then, I was pretty burned out on the, the business of football, and I came home and uh, was getting ready to start teaching, was finishing up some some summer classes because I, I had to leave early. And um, anyway, uh, I just was burned out on the business of it, but I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough to realize that I just thought I was done with football. And, you know, I, I, and they, I got a call back from Ottawa and they wanted me to come up and, and I said, no. And I said, you know, I got to get started on my career down here and appreciate it. Thank you very much. And, uh, but, but it wasn't a, you know, sure for sure thing. It was a five day trial and they were trying to fill the spot for a guy named Nelson and, and I just said, you know, I, I got to get going. So, but if I, you know, if I had a, a mentor, if I had somebody around me that was a little wiser, they would have said, you know, uh, take the shot, just do it. And, uh, but I don't regret anything. And then I never wanted to coach, um, you know, so I got a job uh, teaching and in, uh, in Cuna, Idaho. And uh, they asked me if I would coach. And I said, yes, just because, um, you know, I wanted the job. <laughs> so, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. And they told me, they said, well, the only position we have left is teaching tight ends and linebackers on the JV team. And I went, perfect. Because those kids, uh, you know, when I got around them, it was like, oh my God, these, they're poking each other in the eye and tripping each other and, you know, slapping each other in the back of the head in the locker room. And I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember when this was fun, <laughs> So, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so got back into it and learned a lot of lessons from Hugh Campbell and the Edmonton Eskimos and, uh, a lot more, I have a lot more stories about what I learned, but you know, you know me, I'll just, I won't be quiet. So anyway, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, but that's kind of my journey. And then, then I started, uh, coaching at Gaston in Oregon uh, after, yeah, I started, I was a head coach there and they were going to actually, it was the last year the school was even going to be in existence because they were closing it down. They'd condemned the building and they were going to do one more levy to see if they could pass it and build the school. And, but the football team had lost 18 games straight over two years and hadn't really been close. And the town was kind of down and, uh, you know, we just had kids that wanted to be successful. They were starving to be successful. We didn't have many of them, <laughs> but we had, we had a few and um, we, we pieced together a team and accidentally won a game that year. And then after that, the kids had, had bought in um, because they wanted to be part of something successful. And then the next, we were in a league with Dewey Sullivan, the legendary coach at Dayton. And what a fantastic human being he was. Um, he holds the high school record in for wins that I don't think will ever be beaten uh, in Oregon. He has 425 wins or something insane. Um, but beyond that, he was in Dayton, I think, for 43 years. But he it was the quality of human being he was. He wrote a book, too, The Barefoot Kid from Oklahoma. He was raised pretty poor. And, and he just put in there his thoughts in that book, still out there. Uh, Dewey Sullivan's The uh, Barefoot Kid from Oklahoma. Uh, fantastic, man. Well, we ended up being the only team that beat league team that beat him in the 1980s. <laughs> you know, he went, 
he had all everything was a win and one loss <laughs> in league. And so it was like, you know, that was a state championship for us is beating Dayton, you know. And uh, so anyway, and I remember asking him for a letter of recommendation when I was going to go to Sisters. And he says, I will do anything to get you out of the league. <laughs> so he was a sweet have you ruined his record? Because yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, big stain, one loss, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a great human being. When you were at Boise State, I looked this up because I was like, let's let's learn a little bit about Bob. I didn't realize you went to play professional football until I started doing some research on you. I just knew you as Bob, the principal, and you were a football coach, and you did really good at both. And I was like, oh shoot, he's really good at football too, and he played play professionally but I went back and looked at the 78 roster of Boise State and then uh you played linebacker two of your teammates played linebacker and they both were drafted by the NFL so you had three linebackers from Boise State in 78 that went on to play professional we did and like I said I you know at linebacker you know I I had a lot of success and I was the the big sky conference defensive player of the year but the two guys I was playing with, one was Willie Beeman, six foot five, two fifty-five. And he had started as a freshman at UCLA, but didn't like being at a big school and he and he quit school and was working in San Diego. But the head coach they hired was from UCLA and he talked him into playing at Boise. That guy was an athlete. He ran four five, six foot five, uh, two hundred and fifty-five pounds. And I always laugh because uh, I'm not six foot five. Uh, well, now I'm two fifty five. <laughs> My playing weight was two thirty two. <laughs> but uh, but um, Willie uh, was drafted in the second round by the Jets, and they wanted him to play a defensive end. They wanted him coming off the edge, and uh, you know he he just he he knew what he wanted to do in life, and. Uh, so he went, but but he wasn't he, he he didn't make the NFL his goal. The other was Larry Pulowski. He was six foot three, uh, about two forty, and uh, was from Ukaipa down in California. And uh, he he was drafted in the second round by Seattle. And then, um, but but they were looking for tall linebackers. Then I'm six foot, almost one at the time. Now I'm about five eight, but um, <laughs> but. They, you know, Green Bay talked to me and they said, well, we're going to, back then they had 12 rounds and they said, well, we're going to draft you in about the eighth round, ninth round. And Edmonton called and said, well, we have a different system up here. We'll take you, but you got to declare before the draft. Well, if I'm going in the eighth round, if I was lucky enough <laughs> to go in the eighth round, I know I'm just cannon fodder at, uh, at, at, in camp. And everybody was looking for the six foot three, six foot four linebacker and, and only, uh, one team that was Green Bay was still playing with guys that, you know, were running better. And I, I, I could run. So that's why I went up to Canada. But yeah, Boise State was, um, you know, I just, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Went to modern day, went to Boise State, had cup, cup coffee in all nine cities in, in Canada. Uh, and then uh, started coaching and life's pretty good. Yeah, that's another thing I saw when I was looking you up, too, is the modern day part, too. I saw that pop up when I was kind of researching you, and I'm like, what the heck? So this guy, like, what a what a start to it, because modern day, like, I think most high school people or, or sports people just know the name. Even if they don't know anything about modern day, they know, like, modern day is really good at sports. Yeah, they take it seriously. And um, we would play in the Santa Ana Bowl. That was our home, uh, our home field. So this is 
This is the 1970s. Um, so, and the Santa Ana Bowl held 8,000 back then. And we always played before 8,000 people. People couldn't get in. Um, and we would play Bishop Amont, St. Paul, um, you know, just, just these phenomenal teams. Uh, and there was just, it was just talented, good football. But when you grow up in it and you work out and you follow the rules and you buy in, you don't realize that this is, you just think this is how it is everywhere when you're young. So, or I did maybe, <laughs> maybe there's smarter, more mature guys. I wasn't. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's always funny when I watch and I've, I've met and some met people through doing this too of like, you know, uh, football at high school level, like down in Texas or Georgia or um, even at modern day. And it's like, it's not even like what we're doing in Oregon isn't even on the same, like it's almost two different things going on. Like we, we fill the stands with, you know, a thousand people and that's like a really successful day. And, and those guys, it, well, modern day, 8,000 plus, and then you go to Texas with some of the stadiums they built, you know, I guess it's just not even the same world for high school. No, sports. you know, and I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to, I don't want to dwell on this. I was, uh, I stayed at home another three semesters and went to community college because I was helping out the family. My dad had left the family and we had, I had seven brothers and sisters. So, but I was playing football and finishing my mom. I wasn't even going to go to college. I was just going to stop at the end of junior college and get a job and help with the family. And, and my mom sat me down and said, uh, the best thing you can do for this family is, is go to college, get your degree and, and get to work. And I need you to go. And I'm kicking you out of the house. And that's, that's why I went to college uh, is because my mom said she's kicking me out of the house uh, because, you know, it's time for me to go. And it's next man up. Mark's my, my next youngest brother. He's on he's on deck, you know. So, um, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. Had a great mom. She's still she's still she's 91. She's the uh, best lady I've ever known. Strongest person I've known, too. And um, but anyway, uh, I stayed and, and then I played at Golden West Community College. Great, great guys, great coaches. Um, and you're very fortunate. That's a, that's my whole thing is I was very fortunate to run into great human beings who coach. And that doesn't happen everywhere, you know, and um, it doesn't happen all the time to, to, to guys. And, and there's great athletes that get caught in bad situations and they never get to find out how good they were because they end up quitting or they they feel like defeated or they're they're not people around them aren't buying in and they didn't get that experience that uh, you can only get in sports and maybe the military militaries like, you know, they're, they're, they're crazy. Um, it was funny. I did a talk at the, the Nike coaches clinic on uh, core values and instituting them into your program. And this, I was walking around and the Marines had a booth there. And, uh, you know, and, and it was a breakout session. So there's, I don't know, there's about 200 people there. And, um, anyway, uh, this Marine, I sit there and go, I, I always see a Marine. I, I, my brother's a retired, my youngest brother, youngest brother actually is a Lieutenant Colonel retired from the Marines. And he's now he's a flyer for, he flies pilot for, um, Southwest. But, uh, I, I just stopped by and said, I just want to, thank you for your service. And he goes, were you doing that session on core values? And he goes, yeah. He goes, that was awesome. I learned a lot. And I'm going like, I just started laughing. I go, you're a Marine. You guys sweat core values. You guys, I mean, you wake up in the morning, you can't have coffee without having core value, you know? And 
So it was just he he was he was very kind, but I I laughed because I was going there. No way, these Marines are. I mean, these guys are it. You know, I mean, these guys are all in. So anyway, anyway, I said told him send for Fi and and then went and got a cup of coffee. Normally, this is where I, I ask this question to a lot of guests, not all of them, but most. But this is where I would normally ask you, like, all right, Bob, we're in this weird, weird spot right now in our country. Why are high school sports important? But instead of asking you that question, I think by the time this discussion is done, um, through hearing about your core values, which you've you've used as, like I said, as, as when you were the principal at Glencoe, uh, even in our like in-service week, um, I think through this discussion, by the time we're, you're done, uh, people are going to know exactly why you think high school sports are important. Um, so what I'd really like to do is go back to 1992. Um, Sisters High School is opening up in Sisters, Oregon, and most people listening probably have <laughs> no concept of what Sisters, Oregon is like. Um, but you you were the first head coach in the history of their football program and the history of the school. So can you take us uh, up to 1992 and what that yeah, was like? Actually, it's kind of crazy. Um, Sisters had a high school till 1965, and they had won the state three times. Uh, 1957, I think it was eight man then. And some of the community members played on that team. And so uh, when we started in 92, they brought it back and we kept the colors black and white, which is what they were in 1965 all the way through. And then we kept the name, the outlaws. Well, the outlaws is about a horse. It's the outlaw horse. It's a horse that isn't accepted by a pack. It's always kicked out. It's not accepted. And that's how they felt back then. Nobody wanted sisters in their league because nobody wanted to travel to sisters to play a game. <laughs> so, so that's where they got their mascot from is, is the outlaw horse. And uh, so, you know, so there was some tradition built there. And, and then, but we had, we had nobody that had played the game. We had two, two kids that played at Redmond or were on the team in Redmond, great guys. Toby Rowe was a senior then, and he's a great community guy and sisters now, the, the, the whole uh, Rowe family is. And, uh, but anyway, he brought seniors back when they didn't have to come back, um, but we were not very good. Uh, nobody had played, and I'm interviewing kids, and uh, you know, I, I would always ask, what position do you play? And they go, I play defense. I say, okay, great. What position? They'll go, well, you know, not the front guy, but not the back guy. You know, the guy that it's kind of between those guys, I go, <laughs> like a linebacker. And they go, yeah, that's it. That's the one. Yeah. And, and then this kid moved in from Texas and, you know, he's about 185 pounds. And I said, so what's your name? And he sits there and he goes, my name's uh, Joseph Smith Sar. And I was like, Whoa, I love it. I love the South when they say sir and ma'am, you know. And I sit there and I go, what position do you play? And he says, I play outside linebacker and center, sir. I said, you're the captain. So <laughs> he, he knew two positions. So he was a captain. But uh, we, we uh, struggled the first year, one, two, struggled the next year, one, two. And then um, then we had dudes. My, my son uh, was coming into high school then, uh, 95. I'm sorry, we had uh, Dan Fouts' boy, uh, quarterback, Nick uh, Dominic Fouts. And he came in, and he was a fierce competitor. I mean, he, he, his dad is like this uh, – he's like Clark Kent. He's a great community guy. He'll show up in, in Levi's and flannels to every game in volleyball and football. Um, but Dan was a fierce competitor, and that's how Nick was, just great human being and um, – but you, as soon as the as soon as the the whistle went, man, 
that dude, about 145 pounds at quarterback, and he was in everyone's face. And I mean, I'm talking about the other team. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we're trying to throw a bucket of water on him. And Dan was trying to counsel him saying, you know, as a quarterback, you, you don't want to really rile those guys up. You know, you, you just kind of want to tell them they're nice, nice hit, way to go, you know. <laughs> so anyway, um, we had some success. We had some good kids. That's when we started. We were 2A then in a 4A system in Oregon. And we were pretty excited because we had built to where in 97, I, th- I thought we had a chance to win the whole thing. And Dayton was the, the pick over on their side of the hill, which isn't unusual. But we, had no, we, we knew how to at least uh, play Dayton. We had an approach because I had been coaching against Coach Sullivan and he ran the full house, double tight end full house, and he ran it perfectly. And, and but we had a, you know, we had, we had some schemes, we had some things we liked to do and, so at least we had an approach. And so I was pretty excited because I knew that we could, you know, be a final four team. And, uh, and then that year, um, due to travel, cause we had to travel down to the California border to play league games, uh, which was about a four hour trip and in a bus and, uh, our, our principal and the, the superintendent just said, we're going to move up to three, a, to cut down on our travel travels, killing the kids. So, uh, we moved up to 3A and we got 300 kids in the school and we're playing against schools in 950. And so we were in with uh, Sweet Home, you know, uh, those dudes, man, I don't know what they feed dudes in Sweet Home, but it can't be legal. Um, they're They're just big human beings, you know, and so... And then we had to play Central High School and uh, Marist. And um, and so it was like, you know, we went from uh, being a final four team, you know, type to, uh, uh, you know, just trying it. We had we had dudes that could play at that level easily, but we didn't have enough. And that's kind of kind of what the deal is. A lot of times is, you know, uh, I can play Marist. I can't play him two weeks, three weeks in a row, you know. Um, and that's kind of, kind of where we were. We just didn't have, have the guys around our best guys. Anyway, we, we adapted, uh, and then we had some dudes coming up, great dudes, uh, David Martin and stuff. And Dusty, my son started for three years at quarterback, but he, he just was smart about the game. And then my, I had three boys playing on the team and my daughter was a water girl and my wife did all the stats from the sidelines. So we just, that's our family just got absorbed into, into what we did. And it wasn't about football. It was about being together. Very seldom. Everybody thinks that I was like coaching Dusty at home and stuff. And we, we never did. We just, if he had a question, I'd answer it. But Andy's the one, he was a linebacker. He's the one that would sneak down and sit on the stairs during coaches meetings so he could listen. And, and I, he told me this later, and he was learning about the game from the stairs uh, where we couldn't see him in coaches meetings. And uh, I thought, you know what? And he's such a good guy. We call him the big easy six foot two, about 200 pounds. And, and he was uh, all, he was first team all state and defensive player of the year. And, and, um, but he, he, he just hard to block and uh, he's just, uh, but, and he's so mellow. Just, I mean, I jokingly say when I grow up, I'd like to be like Andy. <laughs> so, but anyway, I'm sorry. I got a little off track there. So, um, yeah. no, that's awesome. It brings up a good question too. And it's one of, of being 
being a, a parent who also ends up coaching your own kids and and there's always this kind of fear of like what if I have to bench my own son you know what will that conversation be like when I get home to my wife yeah and, uh there's this level of like, I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but you're, it's just kind of like une this uneasy feeling of of a combination of excitement of coaching your own kid, but then also this fear of, of all the different things that could go wrong or even the perceptions of the community of, you know, favoritism and things like that. Or or even maybe you're trying to battle that so much that you end up being harder on your kid than everybody else. And, you know, at the same time, maybe that's not fair. Yeah, yeah it brings up a lot of questions. Yeah, I, I think they're, they're good questions. And Fortunately, um, I, you know, we, you, you just want to protect kids, all of them, just, just go play and don't worry about what other people say. But, but when Dusty came in that, that whole class, we had, we had dudes. I mean, we just had grown men and they were grown men and they, they all wanted to win. They, uh, you know, when we opened the school, we were trying the, the volleyball team was phenomenal, but they had been this volleyball team had come together and they had been playing, you know, year round and, you know, and they, they happened to land at sisters and, uh, and so they were competing at a very high level early and our football guys hadn't really competed. So we were actually coaching them how to not let anybody take cuts in the lunch line in front of you. And, be the first one to the lunch line, will you? And, and get, you know, I mean, we're, we just wanted them to be first at and, and start being competitive about things, anything, you know? And um, <clears throat> that was the hardest thing is, is, is starting the culture of competing, being the, being the best you can, not necessarily winning, but you have to be the best you can. And so anyway, what coaching my own kids though, the team knew the expectations and this is where, you know, core values were helpful too is, Everybody's got to buy in. Everybody's got to roll. Um, I'll tell you a quick story, which which makes it easier. And, and you're, you're talking about why is sports important. I think coaches have the most important job in the United States right now in, in any capacity. And it's because this is where kids are being exposed to authentic life. Um, it's about uh, you got to put yourself out there. If you're, you, 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 you know, a coach is going to demand that you you, you know, I always jokingly say um, my job is to get get you to do what you don't want to do to achieve the goals you want to have. And the coaches are, you know, are important in that, in, in getting them, the kids motivated and to build a culture that is conducive to being a good citizen and a good human being. And, and um, you know, I always say that we coach life, but we are using football as the context. And so uh, football, baseball, basketball, you, you know, that life happens in my microcosm during these three, three months you have them or four months. So everything that's going to happen in their life is going to happen in that, that sports season. You're going to have setbacks. So you need to know how to have a comeback. You know, you have to know how to, how to view a setback. You have to know how to get up off the floor. You have to know uh, what you got to do to prepare for next year. You have to, I mean, so all of these things in life, big disappointments, great successes, the joy of a corporate success, all of these happen in microcosm. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we can teach uh, life in, in, a, in, in um, microcosm, you know, just it's, it's all going to happen. And that's how we ended up teaching 
uh, teaching these things. And we have specific core values um, that we used. And um, I'll probably talk about that. I, I don't know if I answered your question or I could kind of talk. That's kind of what I was going to talk about is um, core values. So I, I was just going to say, we could probably press the stop button, take the last three minutes and just have that be the podcast episode I put out every Saturday forever. Just the, those three minutes of why, why it's important, why coaching is important. That's one of the most well, well done things I've heard. It's, it's really funny. So I went when I was kind of doing research and stuff, trying to learn a little bit more about you, uh, other than me knowing that you were a good football coach and a fun principal to have. Um, I found an article, and it's funny because you said, I, I always say this, and sure enough, in the article, I had written this down because I wanted to bring it up. There's a quote, and the quote is you saying, we're coaching life, but doing it in the realm of football. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yep, that's yeah. Bob. Still saying the same thing, yes. yeah. And so let's dive into culture. I, I want to hear about your principles. Um, I think I think it's something that listeners can get a lot of lot out of. Um, I know you had kind of like five core values. You can go any direction you want with this, but can you just just open up the mic to you and let you run uh, with with the idea of building culture? How you did it? What's important? What players you wanted to get out of them? What you wanted them to have? Um, so I'm just going to yeah. hand the mic to you and like just. <laughs> Talk to me about building. Well, I, I think that the the important thing, first of all, I have I have some really old PowerPoint slides, PDFs. If anybody wants this stuff, I'll be glad to send email it to them, and then they can change it, make their own. And, you know, I mean, just you know, uh, if you find one thing in the whole thing that's valuable, just claim it. It's your own. Use it. Implement it. Pass it on. Uh, change them. Whatever you want, but. What we did is I just think in leadership as a coach, a couple of just foundational things, your coaching staff has to operate in, a, in, a, in trust. People say things, and I always want to ask, what does that look like? Because, you know, a lot of times people say things, and then you're like, God, that sounds really cool. What does that look like at the, when, the, when the boots hit the ground, you know? So I always talk about, like, you know, teams got to operate in trust, or the coaching staff does. And those things mean that we need to admit weaknesses and mistakes uh, freely, that we have to ask for help. Uh, we have to accept questions and input, uh, even about our own area of responsibility. Uh, we have to give one another the benefit of the doubt before arriving at a negative conclusion. And these are all things about we have to operate in trust. And I was fortunate enough to work with guys for a longer period of time that um, exemplified these things. So we, we had, you know, I said, you know, we're going to let the fur fly in a coach's meeting. Um, but when we, when we end, we're walking out that door with one game plan, one voice, one heart. And, uh, you know, awesome. and that's, that's where uh, the trust came. Uh, and Gary Hedin, actually, it was kind of funny, the full circle of life. Gary Hedin, when I interviewed for the job at Gaston, was president of the senior of the school senior class and he was on the hiring committee so he hired me he was my first quarterback then uh, i hired him later to come back and coach with us and then he stayed with me for 16 years uh, as a defensive coordinator but i would say okay here's their best plays this is what we want to do here's our defensive philosophy he was our d coordinator and I said, but Gary, one day you're going to say, I, this isn't what I want to do. This isn't how it should work. I want to do this. And I said, and, and that's when you're really the D coordinator. But you, but you got it. And he's a mild mannered guy. And he'd go, yeah, okay. 
And I go, no, I'm serious. You, you got to argue with me. You got to stand up and say, this is, I don't, I don't think that's the right way to go. I think this is a better way to go. And that's, you know, and so we were coaching for about a year and a half and he was, had been defense coordinator and we were about in the third game of the, we're heading into a big game. And I sit there and I said, I think these fronts, this down, you know, I think we got to look at these situations and do this, do this, do this. And he goes, I don't think so. I think, I think we got to do this. And I go, that doesn't make any sense. I said, if you do that, you're, you're, you're exposing us to X, Y, Z, you know? And he goes, but it's risk reward. And if we can get these guys on their heels, blah, blah, blah. And so I, you know, I was, I was kind of irritated, like, what's this guy doing? I just told him what to do, you know? And, um, so then I realized while I was arguing with him that I've been waiting for this minute, you know? And I said, do you feel confident that you're right? And he goes, yeah. And I go, all right, let's do it. You do it, put it in. And I never bothered him again. So, um, you know, yeah. And so I think that's operating in trust. And then our agreements in meetings, these are just leadership things. You have to have whatever leadership position you're in, you have to be able to operate in trust. And if you don't have trust and loyalty, now loyalty doesn't mean they say yes. Loyalty means they'll tell you what they think, but they're still your guy. You know, they're backing you up. And um, that's in sports. That's in being a principal, a superintendent. And, uh, you know, Grant Taft's one of my heroes. If you ever go back looking for great coaches who put a lot of stuff out there. And uh, he said the number one thing he looks for in a coach is loyalty. And um, that's and he tells some funny stories about that, but I won't get into it because, you know, I'll run out of tape. But um, but, he, you know, I, I, and I think that's true is I want loyalty. I don't want but I want authentic loyalty. I want somebody who makes me better. Uh, I want somebody to challenge me. I want somebody to. But but at the end of the day, like I said, whether it's it's my leadership team as a principal or head coach or community, um, when we when we leave this room, it, we're going to have one voice and one heart and one message. And um, and that's what we're going to deliver. And we're all going to believe it. And, um, you know, and I've changed, too. I mean, I will tell somebody, um, you know, I, I told my head secretary, Suzanne Lynn, who is fantastic person in sisters. She was the um, principal secretary, office manager. And, and I said, you know, you, you can, you can, if you think I did something wrong, you, you can come in and shut the door and say, you know what, I'm calling you out. And she said, uh, yeah, right. You know, like, yeah, like I'm going to do that, you know, cause she, she'd gone through some tough times and in another setting and had been kind of chastised for stepping out of her sphere of influence, which isn't true, but that's how she felt. So anyway, I just remember about the second or third year, she walks in, she shuts the door and I go, what's up? And she goes, yeah, you remember you told me I could tell you these things if you, you're like out of line. And I go, yeah. And she goes, did you really mean that? <laughs> I go, oh crap. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and I sit there and I go, God, I got some really dumb ideas. <laughs> so, <laughs> and she just told me, you are so out of line with the way you handled this, with that teacher on this situation about that kid, you know, you didn't back the teacher up. That's how she feels. You know, so I, I forget the exact situation and I kind of bristled a little bit, but I knew that, you know, this is what I got to hear, you know, just take your medicine. 
And when she said, when she was finished, she was nervous, but she was committed. And I said, you know what? Let me uh, ruminate on this a minute. And uh, can I get back to you? I'll get back to you today. And she said, yeah, okay. So about 10 minutes later, I called her back in the office and I sit there and go, I think you're right. You know what? I think I handled that poorly. I'm going to go down and take care of that now. And from that moment on, we, you know, I mean, we're just now this committed force that is now dictating culture to, it just radiates culture, you know? And that's where, uh, that's what coaches do. That's why they're so important is they, they radiate a culture and they're not afraid to, to hold kids responsible. And this is the only place in America where it's happening anymore. A lot of teachers, even in the classroom are feeling defeated because how do I hold this? How do I get this kid to work? How do I get him to turn anything in? They don't, you know, I mean, what's the classes are 35 kids. What am I doing with 35 kids? I, you know, and, and so, but a coach says 35 kids, well, you, you just start coaching them, you know, and, um, and it's, it's one at a time. Well, anyway, uh, the other thing that's about, you know, operating in trust and loyalty and, and how culture starts radiating. Um, but, but you, you know, you have to be willing to take your own medicine and, uh, I think, uh, <laughs> I think I take medicine as good as anybody <laughs> in the country. You do. I, uh, so it brings up a memory. So in, well, I mentioned I was a student teacher at Glencoe High School, uh, and it just happened to be your first year as the principal. And um, so I, I, as a student teacher does, you try to kind of hang around the principal a little bit because ultimately the, the entire year's a job essentially, right? So you're like, yeah, don't forget about me if there's an opening. But uh, what, one thing I remember really specifically, and this brings me back to it, is this idea uh, idea of um, authentic loyalty. And you've you extended that to students. And I specifically remember a few times, uh, no, more than a few times, where you had students that would come in and they'd go and sit with you in your office and talk to you about whatever it is they wanted to talk about. But um, not all principals are like that. It's not, it's a very busy job and it's very easy to get into our routines and, and be busy. And ultimately there's this, you know, core value at the bottom of it. That's like, no, you know, we're, we're in this job to help kids. Right. And so as a principal, and I assume this was the same way as a coach, you had this seemingly open door policy for the kids yeah. too. I think that's, that's the whole deal is how, and how awesome is that, that, a, that a kid, I mean, think about the, the courage a, a kid has to come up with to go approach the principal and say he's wrong or that he he's doing something that, it, that they perceive as wrong or that there's something going on in the school that needs to be changed and it's not okay. And, and for them to do that, if you empower them and that's what coaches do, they empower, there's nothing more powerful than a man uh, validating a, a, a teenager a boy, another boy, or a woman validating another teenager uh, and saying, you know what? You're on it. You, you are, you're, you're, you are amazing. You're, you're truly authentically that took guts. And, and I respect that. And that's when, uh, you know, you, you got things rolling when, because you're operating in that theater of trust and those kids felt that they could come in and tell me things. And, uh, uh, or talk, and I would carve out time, and I, I would tell my secretary, I'd just say, look at, um, sometimes I can't meet with a kid, but you make the appointment. You know, I, I want it in the book. I want this student in the book 
so that those kids can come in and make an appointment with me. And, um, you know, so, and, and out of that, we did some things, uh, you know, we started uh, Sparrow Club, we started a few things and, and uh, things that, that kids, you know, uh, they're looking for a mission, you know, give them one, create one uh, and validate it. And, uh, and that's what coaches do. We're, we have a cause already. We're trying to win. Uh, we're trying to, we're trying to win or be successful. Again, winning is doing the best you can with what you have at that time. And, you know, and we've all as coaches have won a game where we don't feel good about it because we didn't play well. We didn't have a good attitude. We walked through the game. We were just a lot better than the other team. And then there's games where you won and it was euphoric because you, you did everything and, and then threw in the kitchen sink and it worked. And there's this team camaraderie. I'll, I'll tell you one thing I accidentally walked into. So when my son was a freshman, he was starting on the, the JV team. We, we had freshman JV varsity. And I said, you know what? I, I don't even get a chance to watch my kid play. And that's not my lifestyle. That's not how I work. So I made myself the JV head coach. And, you know, we got to travel two hours to, to games for JV games. So I'm traveling every week. Either I'm traveling for a JV game or I'm traveling for a varsity game. But what I decided was the games were on Thursday, JV. So what I did was um, I empowered the, the varsity coaching staff. I said, here's our practice plan. I think these are the things you need to review. And then they would put in their, their, their you know, top five things that had to be done on review. So my assistant coaches were the head coaches on Thursdays, on, on day before game. We had a lot of kids, so we had, you know, we'd bring up some freshmen to play in the game just to get them more, more game time. And one thing I did, and this is, you know, I don't know how this translates to multiple sports, but um, we had a lot of kids, so we had uh, red, white, and blue. So the red team was the first team. So first team defense is red. And then we'd have uh, red, white. We'd have white as second team, and then blue as third team. So we would start the game with red team. This is just, I'm, it's JV football. I'm trying to get everybody playing time. And I'm not good enough to, to do it any other way than to have a, a system going into the game. And so um, the second wave, we'd go, okay, give me the red defense with white linebackers. Give, you know, so now the, the, the second team is really playing with the first team. Or I'd say, give me a red, red line uh, and white backs and white linebackers. Well, we just kept rotating, you know, so it was red, white, and blue. You know, okay, give me, uh, you know, a lot. I, I always made sure the offensive line was okay because my son was quarterback. Um. <laughs> <laughs> There's the favorite. Yeah, team. you know, we're going to switch quarterbacks <laughs> if I'm going blue line. <laughs> just kidding. But what happened was at the end of this game, it was the first JV game. Um, we had about 40 kids, you know, and they all sprinted on the field, jumping up and down like they'd won the Super Bowl. It's game one. It's a preseason game, you know. And I'm thinking, <laughs> that's kind of cute. You know, they're all excited and everything. Well, we do the second game. And they, they storm the field afterwards like we've won the Super Bowl. And I'm thinking, these guys got a lot of enthusiasm. And then the third game, they're doing it. And I mean, it's the whole team. And then I realized uh, something that helped me as a varsity coach was, you know what? 
these kids are, are jacked because everybody contributed. Everybody felt that they were a, a strategic part of the game. And that's why the enthusiasm was so high. And because you never know, freshman and sophomore, you, you think you know, but really coaches don't know who, who are, you know, you know who your dudes are, but you don't know who, who, the, who the, the next excellent players are, you know, because they kind of develop. And so anyway, I said, you know what? I got to remember that on the varsity. So we started rotating first with second team. And um, this was a good story. I, I got to tell you this one. Uh, and then, then I'm going to, I'll sprint through core values. But <laughs> this, this was a culminating thing. Now, well, maybe I'll, I'll just, I'll, I won't tell that story yet, but I, I'll tell it. It's, it's about Harry Womack. And, um, but anyway, implementing core values, I think, we're intimidated as coaches to start doing it. I am anyway, because I'm like, I don't have time to come up with a, you know, a thesis and a paper and a plan. I got, I mean, I got enough stuff going on, you know? So I, I came to the conclusion, you know, you just got to start. So I think coaches, because we're perfectionists and, and we have to have everything in a, you know, tied up in a sock. I, I just think that you have to give yourself permission to be in process. And it might take five years, six years to come up with what your core values are and how they are transmitted through the team, you know? And so I think a five-year plan uh, is good. Um, and basically just giving yourself permission to keep working on it. The core values that we did, um, what we did as coaches is um, we, we met and we said, who are the dudes that we've coached in our life in high school? And we said, that's who I want them, I, I want them to say they were in my program because whether we did it intentionally or not, those guys, I want them to represent our program. I want people to think, well, if that, that program's turning out kids like this, that we should make them the president, you know, um, or the superintendent or whatever. Uh, yeah, I could, yeah, I can't take a, nobody wants to be president, but, um, anyway, uh, yeah, sorry about that. I won't go there. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, um, so we started talking about the kids and then what their traits were. What, what was it about these kids that made them special? And usually it's, well, you know, they were really good. Okay. But they put others first. Oh yeah. You know what? That, that is true. So we wrote down servant leadership, you know, that, um, that's, that's going to be important that they, that they put other people first. And then we started thinking, well, what else, what else is there? And we came up, you know, with our first list and um, Ken Ruckers coached with us. He um, was the eighth player drafted in the 1986 draft. He was a left tackle for USC. He was their captain at USC and the running back was Marcus Allen. Well, he coached with us for 13 years. Well, he got drafted by Green Bay and was drafted in as the eighth player, not the eighth round, the eighth player. And he put on his locker. Now, this guy's the most disciplined athlete I've seen. He's six foot six, 310 pounds. And he would just put a strip of tape on his locker it, it, in Green Bay. And the same strip, same message he had in it at uh, USC. And it said A-C-E, ace. And... Uh, ace. And, I, and so he would teach that to us. And he says every day, I, and again, he's the most disciplined athlete. Uh, you know, at that level, they're, they're very disciplined if they're going to hang around. 
But um, he said, he goes, uh, Ace, he goes, you know, and they told me the story. This became our core value is one of our core values was Ace, attitude, concentration, and effort. They are um, basically the non-performance-based self-evaluation. So he would put that on his locker. After practice, he would sit in his chair and he'd look at that and he'd go, how was my attitude on the field today and in the weight room? How was my concentration today and how was my effort? So ACE is, you know, you know, you're a baseball coach when, when you need, man, I need two outs last inning. You know, you're walking out to the mound and you're looking down there and you're looking with a big heart going, man, there's my ACE. And you're signaling, you're tapping your left hand going like, give me that, give me the heater, man. Give me that dude that's going to give me, give me two strikeouts. And that's ACE. That's the guy you count on is a guy that uh, that's non-performance-based self-evaluation, attitude, concentration, and effort. And so, you know, we talked about that. that yeah, we want somebody who's reflective about, about themselves. And we want to teach that in a weight room. We want to teach that. By the way, other programs started, at Sisters, started adapting core principles. Because I was just saying, here's what we're doing. And you can have them all. You can change them. And our basketball coach, Ran Runco, is one of the best human beings in the world. He started taking stuff and then, then he kept changing everything. He goes, cause I just can't copy you. And I was like, dude, don't, I don't care. You know, take them, make them your own. I don't, you know, I mean, come up with your, it doesn't matter. It just says, what, what are you aiming at? We, you know, if we're not aiming at it, we got to aim at something. So anyway, our core values that we gave ourselves permission to start working these in. And then, um, and then I'm just going to go over our five just to give you an idea. And then I'll, I'll kind of go into how that, how that happened. Um, so we talked about um, putting self on shelf. So we talked about uh, putting your ego on, on the shelf. And, and again, this is in a, um, a slide presentation or a, whatever you want. I can just email. If somebody's interested, I'll just send it to you. You can look at it. You can throw it away. You can change anything. You can find something. Uh, just let me know. But um, anyway, uh, so what, the first thing we did is we wanted kids to be accountable. And so um, we talked about that. And the way we were going to put our core values in is we were going to start telling stories because kids love, everybody loves a story. That's how we learn. But great teachers are good storytellers. Um, but anyway, the first thing we did is we said, uh, we want guys that are going to have standards and they're going to communicate them to other people verbally and non-verbally. So we put in uh, our first, uh, and again, these aren't, um, well, they are what they are. Uh, we just said, so as iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen each other. Okay. That's a good core value. Again, my question is, what does that look like? Cause you got to tell a kid what it looks like. You can't say, okay, you know, we're in this together. We've got to have good values. We've got to rub off on each other. So we talked about, you know, just having a standard and communicating it, learn to have the courage to say, no, no, I'm not going drinking with you. You guys do whatever you're going to do, but I'm just not in. Love you guys. Uh, see you later. Uh, what behaviors, we, we talk about kids, what behaviors are you going to tolerate? And then the strongest weapons are forged in the hottest fires. And I went to Toledo, Spain. I'm going to do this really quick, but these are the stories we tell. And um, they have this sword making shop and it's still a walled city today. And uh, oddly enough, uh, Jews, Muslims and Christians lived in peace together for hundreds of years there in a walled city. 
um, which was fantastic. But anyway, they, I was in the sword shop and they said, yeah, our, our smithy's downstairs. You can go watch him make a sword if you want. And I went, I said, heck yeah. So I went down there and there's a Spaniard down there, about six foot two, about 220, and he is ripped. And he's kind of putting on a show because, you know, we're down there, but it doesn't matter. I'm just like, do it, brother. I mean, that, you, you, that wow, you know, and he and he's he's got this blade and he, it's red hot and he's pounding it, you know, just like they made him in the 11th century. He's pounding it with his hammer and then bam, in the water it goes and bam in. And then he's got these giant, you know, billow bags and and he's just pounding on it. Well, the thing that I noticed was. When, when iron is sharpening iron, there's a lot of friction. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. There's sparks flying. And that's kind of what it is when you have a standard that you're going to communicate. The strongest weapons are forged in the hottest fires. That's kind of how we came up with it. And then we, had, we talked about our ranger buddy and um, who holds you accountable and who do you hold accountable. And the rangers, the last thing they do when they... Uh, special forces is they drop two guys together in the Everglades, the swamps and say, good luck getting out. And the reason they do that is they know that, um, you can't get out alone and you, you have to have it. You have to have somebody with you working together. And so we, we kind of, I, I did that in short, these, I'm giving you the very short versions of these, you know, stories we use. And then, uh, the second one is we talked about, uh, be a, being a, uh, servant leader, and that's put yourself on the shelf. There's not enough room on the field for 11 teammates and an ego. Be a servant warrior. Champions are servants. Champions are forged in hard work and humility. Then I talked about ace, attitude, concentration. And then probably, I think the best principle we came up with was the sudden change principle, you know, is if our offense fumbled the ball and, you know, it's it's close game defense, like, oh, God dang, here we got to go again, you know, yeah, or you know, you you got to go out on the field and play defense or, you know, something bad happens, you know, defense gives up a home run and offense is, oh my God, we got to go out there again and we got to score. We got to get down the field, you know? Well, you, you got to do it anyway. So what we instituted was if we ever had a turnover and we coached against it like every coach, but if we have a turnover, we called it sudden change. And uh, so if the offense uh, had a turnover, then our defense would run onto the field yelling sudden change, sudden change. And the mindset is we weren't ready for this. There's sudden change, just like a sudden change in life that we've got to get out there. And if we're on our side of the 50, we can only give up a field goal. And if we're on that side of the 50, we got to get a three and out. We got to get a three and out. So it was just this mindset about sudden change. And then, um, you know, and there's a great, great writing that uh, we, we used for this. And um, it's basically, we called it sudden change, but we talked about how in life, and I'm just going to read it to you. Um, uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll had this. And so I, we put it down under sudden change. Uh, and the quote is, life is 10% what happens and 90% how we respond. The longer I live, the more I realize the, the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more than important facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important uh, than appearances, giftedness, or skills. 
the the whole idea is that you know attitude is the last. Then we change. We we this the fifth pillar we've changed several times because we we tell the kids here's here's our beliefs, but if they're not your beliefs, uh, and this is how we implemented them, I guess that's a better way to go. Um, and that we ended up with the fifth one over over time. By the time I had I was done, is the fifth one was be the man in the gap. Twelve principles of the man who stand in the gap. Uh, and it was a walled city in the Middle East. And um, anyway, it was rebuilding the walls. But but I got it from um, Frosty Westering up at uh, uh, Pacific Lutheran. My son went up and played there under Frosty. And, and it was basically be the man in the gap, stand in the gap with your weapon and be a man of character. And that's the short version. But what we started doing was this, and this is what I would say is how do you, how do you implement these? Well, you know, we always had parent night and they, you know, where we go over rules and, and it can be boring. And then you have a little barbecue afterwards or something, but you got to do it. So what we did is we had the seniors tell the, um, uh, core value, introduce it to the parents, and then give their story. You don't have to use our stories. Tell tell your story about what that means to you. And we'd help them coach, but we want them to be public speakers too. So, you know, we're, we're helping them become public speakers. And then we'd go to camp during the summer and we said, you know, here's our core values. So we, we would stay up after usually the second night at camp. We'd stay up to about one in the morning, have pizza and do guy things and fun things. And and then we talked to him and um, Ken Ruckers would introduce Ace and I'd have another coach talk about, uh, you know, each one of the core values. I, I wouldn't introduce any of them. And then I would say, uh, OK, here's the deal, guys. We're going to pick captains, two captains for next year now. And if these are the things that we believe and we always gave the kids the, you know, going into summer, we always said, uh, here's our beliefs. If you want to change any of them, change them. But you guys get together as a group and say, you know what, we, we'd like to see this instead of this, you know. And, of course, it didn't happen, but we gave them the, the you know, this is what we believe, and, and if you're buying into this, we expect this, we're, we're going to coach this. Anyway, I said, you can nominate anybody for captain. It can be a junior or senior, and we'd have freshmen there. And, um, and then you have to, but you have to give us a core value and tell us a story why you're nominating that person. Now, that person can get nominated five times, but you have to have, you know, who is ever nominating them has to have a different story. So um, so that's how we pick captains. Um, this freshman, you know, a little squeaky voice, he, you know, he's really an eighth grader. He's, you know, it's summer camp. He hadn't even been in the high school. And he sits there and goes, yeah, I want to nominate uh, Harry Womack. And I said, okay. Now, Harry did not start as a freshman on the freshman team, as a sophomore on the JV team, or as a junior on the JV team. He played corner and uh, was not fast. That's kind. And, uh, but he was the best teammate a guy could ever have. He, he is the best, the best. He is Mr. Positive. He is Mr. I'm going to, if you're down, I am, I am picking you out. You know, I'm going to make you better. And, um, Anyway, uh, I said, so why? And he sits there and he goes, well, remember we got here and you ordered 50 pizzas and, you know, everybody got half a pizza. And I said, yeah, or a third. Yeah, a third of a pizza, I think. Yeah. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, there wasn't enough. And so-and-so and I didn't have a pizza and everybody was eating and Harry saw us. And so he took half his pizza and brought it over to us. Servant leadership. 
you know, so he got nominated for captain and he got nominated by his senior peer. Now, this is a guy that hasn't started three years. He's played, but he hadn't started anywhere. And he ends up being our captain. And it was almost unanimous um, when they voted and he got nominated like five times. And so we have, you know, we have a rule like a lot of guys that, and I'm just telling you the Harry Womack story and how valuable this stuff is, is we had an all state corner that was playing really good. And Harry was the backup. Now, Harry, I know might run five, one at corner, you know, as a corner. Um, So we used him for cover three. Um, But he, uh, you know, we'd get him in when we could, but he was on all special teams and, and again, he was the most positive. He was the best teammate a guy could ever hope to have. And uh, anyway, this Morgan went out. He had a tissue in. He had a hamstring issue right in the middle of a game. We're playing a big game. And um, he comes out. He goes, can't go. I, my, my hamstring's gone. Well, I have three coaches look at me, and their eyes, eyes are like saucers. Like, what are you going to do? You, you, you know, I, what are you going to do? You know, and every, nobody's voicing anything, but it's like, whoa, uh, they, they got receivers, man. They got dudes that fly. You know, we could move this guy over here. We could move this guy. We could move this guy. And I'm going, yeah, yeah. And I just go, next man up. And it's Harry. Harry, you're in. And, and that's the way it should be, you know. And we just said, uh, Harry, I, Harry's smart. He's not dumb. So he lines up, you know, we have our corner line up at about five yards. And uh, so Harry lines up at nine and they're throwing hitches in front of him. But as soon as the guy catches the ball, he's getting tackled. And we're just going like, Harry's, Harry's playing. Harry is playing for just stinking smart, you know? And uh, so he played the next three games for us. And now Morgan's coming back and Morgan, you know, Morgan runs four, seven, you know, he's, I mean, he's, he can move. And, um, and he, and he came in, I was also the principal at the time, and, and he came into my office in the morning. He says, Coach, I got cleared. I'm ready to go. I said, that's good. Good, good, good. And, you know, you don't lose your position uh, because of uh, injury. So I said, okay, so, all right. Uh, and he goes, Coach, can I? I said, okay, well, you know, you're in, Morgan. You know, we'll get you at practice, and good. Thanks for letting me know. It's before school. And he goes, Coach, I want to talk to you. I said, yeah. And he goes, Harry's playing pretty good. And I go, Harry did a good job. Yes, he did. Yeah. He goes, um, can Harry and I rotate at corner? And I said, you get, you're going to rotate? You choose to rotate with Harry? And he goes, yeah. And I said, okay, uh, you and Harry figure out your own rotation. And But I said, but there's times that I'm going to put you in late fourth quarter. I got to do it. And he goes, that's fine. And so we called them the two-headed monster the rest of the year. They they just rotated on their own. And I think that Morgan understood what what life is about better than anybody else on the team. And just that whole unselfishness and putting others ahead of yourself. And he still had great pride. He wanted to be the guy. But um, at the same time, they just worked out their own rotation. And so that's kind of what... What, what, how we got those values in and then how we got kids to believe them and they just weren't slogans on a wall and, and things like that. But we had the kids talk about them. And then at camp, 
um, we talked, we just have kids and then we'd start having brothers, you know, that had, that had played and they'd go, you know, when my brother played and they'd tell their story. And so we're just creating this legacy and culture of, um, of, of core values. But anyway, that's as, that's as short as I can do it. I know I'm long winded. I hope, hope that didn't put everybody to sleep, but, uh, and you know, I, I get excited about this stuff and I think it's the best stuff. I love what you said, uh, kind of in the middle somewhere, maybe even early on in it, you said something on the lines of, um, if you're, you're not sure where to start and you're not, don't let that intimidate you. Just dive in and start. You're, there's no expectation that you're perfect. Just, just give yourself permission to be in process. I think that's something really important for people to hear because it's, it is daunting to think like, what is it? That, what are the values that I want to impart upon the players that are in my program? really big question and it's really easy to not start answering that because you know how messy it can get when you're trying to figure it out yeah and i and and if you don't want to have five uh you know have two have one yeah you know just say what is it that we believe just have a you know i mean it doesn't have to be super complicated just talk to your team you know i mean because we always said i would do a questionnaire with the kids i did a lot of questionnaires because i like hearing what they had to say i'll just give you a couple things that are good for teams um, is that, uh, one is carabiners. I'll get back to that. But in the questionnaire, I, I'd say, uh, uh, when you're done with our program, what do you want, what do you want you to say about yourself? What do you want your teammates to say about you? And then what do you want our opponents to say about you? You know, and we really just want them to think, in that whole three-dimensional world there that uh, you're, you're developing, you're becoming who you're becoming. You're going to make mistakes. Um, but by the way, that I, one book I want to recommend, uh, it's, it's been out there a long time. A lot of schools have adopted it. It's, it's just uh, the, gro- the growth mindset, Carol Dwork. Um, but it's a great parenting book. It's a great coach's book. It's a great teacher's book. But it's called Growth Mindset, and it's really blowing up our locked mindset and freeing kids in a classroom to, just like what we're talking about, to not be there yet, you know? So when a kid tells me, I don't get it, I don't get this, I always make him rephrase it and say, I don't get this yet, because you're going to get it. We're just, everybody's got a little different time. But the book is um, short, it's, but it's good for parents, coaches, and uh, it's, it's the growth mindset. Anyway, this, this other thing I did, which I really thought was valuable, is we had just uh, carabiners. I'd order carabiners, and they'd have one of the slogans on it, like, uh, as, iron, as iron sharpens iron. And so we'd have outlaw carabiners, just these black carabiners. And uh, you didn't get one unless you wrote me a paragraph on why you should have a carabiner. And if you write me a paragraph, I'll give you a carabiner. But the topic is, why do I want a carabiner? Not deserve it. Why do I want a carabiner? And I, I just wanted there to be kind of a little bit more, most of the stuff I stumbled into giving myself permission not to be very good or to fail and to do something else. And um, I just stumbled into this. I just thought, well, you know what? These guys, I just don't want to give them a carabiner. They got to do something. I'll just have them write a paragraph because I'm an English teacher too. And, and the things they wrote, 
uh, brought me to tears. Some of these kids just spilled their guts about this is the, the best part of their life that this one kid wrote, um, you know, my family's a train wreck. Uh, and he, you know, it, it was, and he said, and, and this has given me hope and I can see that I'm going to go to college now. And I think that I want to be a part of this team because this is my family. And so all of a sudden it became inspiring to me. So for selfish reasons, I continued that because these kids would have to write a paragraph. Some of them just said, you know, I'm on the team as I've worked my, I've worked really hard. This is important to me and I, I want to wear my carabiner. And so what we would do is, you know, you, you could wear your carabiner to school, but in the locker room, before we went out on the field, we would hook up all of our carabiners together and just talk about no weak links, you know, that, that we're one team. And then when we'd come in at the end of the game, the kids would go get their own carabiner because they, they don't want just a carabiner. They want their carabiner. They have a little mark on it or something. So I think those are good things to do. And there's coaches that have better ideas than I do. And, are, you know, and I steal any idea I can from somebody else. It's good. But um, that's, that, was, that ended up being like uh, really fruitful. It also made kids, uh, you know, uh, talk about, things that were important to them. And it also gave them permission in the uh, program to do it. So I think there's a lot of coaches now that are doing real positive things with core values and probably a lot better things than what we, we started out doing. Um, but, you know, at least somebody, if you're, you know, if anybody's interested, I can just send that out. And if not, it's, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it helps me even just talk about it. I just love talking about this stuff. Yeah, it's it's cool stuff. And the, the the pause that happened because of COVID, like so our baseball season got canceled this last year. So it's been a, a year where normally I'd, I'd have a lot of time at baseball and I, I haven't had that. And so one of, the, one of the gifts of this time has been that it's kind of given me the space to like sit down and actually finally like write these things down for ourselves and for our own program. Um because like you mentioned, when you're coaching, you have all these things going on. And even though it's really important, one of the last things that you, uh, just the task, I got to sit down and like actually come up with this stuff, but it's, it's really important stuff and it can help like drive uh, the different choices that you make and then help you kind of bring back what you're doing to making sure that you're sticking to the values that you've created for your team. Or like you mentioned, if, if, if along the way you've realized you want to drop one and, and add something else or change it, you give yourself permission to do that. Yeah, I because I, we started out, our fifth one was no excuses, you know, uh, and just just it is what it is. I mean, you know, so don't make any excuses, but it's not, a, I'm not chastising somebody. It's just, it is what it is, you know. Um, this is what happened. Don't, don't give me an excuse. Just, that's life, you know. It, it just, ha that's it. So, but we didn't like it after a while because it was kind of like the only one that w was stated in the negative, you know. Um, and so we, you know, we we came up with another one about being the man in the gap, stand up and and defend others and be on guard and and you know guard your guard your values and your standards and and that kind of thing. So, but uh, yeah, but I just think uh, doing something's better than than not doing anything. Just try one thing, and. Uh, and and then start there and then 
add something and uh you know if you find say oh that doesn't you know what uh carabiners uh let's see i gotta order some and then i gotta have kids write a paragraph okay well let's start there well what if the paragraphs aren't any good here's your carabiner you know (laughs) so (laughs) uh it's just the way it is so i i don't know i just think uh but kids man kids uh you know i heard a guy talk oh it was a coach at willamette once said he said you know i hear how Kids aren't motivated. These kids these days aren't motivated. And he said something that just resonated with me. He goes, oh, no, they are super motivated. They're just not motivated to do your stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but what they're motivated to do, they're doing. And so, you know, the, the trick is, again, uh, get my job is to get them to do what they don't want to do in order to achieve the goals they have. And, um, and you know, and then do it with a glad heart. But uh, or at least do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I've had kids say, you know, I want to be a, a you know professional football player, and I'll sit there and I go, great goal. What's your backup goal? Because you're going to be done with the NFL at some point. And that's Ken Rucker's. Actually, if you want to look this up, his his online ministry. Uh, he has his doctorate and he teaches social studies. He was just helping us out as for 13 years a line coach because, you know, when kids leave, they they miss the locker room. They miss their buddies. They miss the stories. They miss the, you know, just being together. And same way with coaches, right? Uh, when you leave, what do you miss? I miss the locker room. So Ken was with us mainly not because is that he's, he, he started 12 years at left tackle for Green Bay and ended with a Super Bowl ring. I don't think his top goal was to coach high school football at all. But being with guys and laughing and, you know, and, and I watched him coach, man. Every, every day was a million-dollar clinic. I mean, he's, and he has like, uh, like one day we had an all state center as a junior and he was a senior and he was coming out of the shoots and I, you know, it was just regular drills, warm up drills are coming out of the shoots, you know, four at a time and, and stuff. And I'm watching, I went down there to watch cause, uh, I had the quarterbacks warming up, but I, I like going down watching line and I like coaching line, but anyway, uh, Ken, I don't even notice anything. I'm just watching drills, you know. It looks looks like drills, you know. And Ken, uh, we had this guy. The, the center's nickname was Meatball. And, uh, you know, and he was a funny kid. And, um, and Ken just stops the drill. Doesn't, doesn't say anything. Just doesn't let them get back in the drill. And he goes, Meatball. And Meatball goes, yeah. He goes, are you getting better or are you just getting by? And he goes, getting by, coach. He goes, yeah, give me something, will you? And I didn't even notice that he wasn't 100%. You know what I mean? It wasn't gross. And and then I told Ken afterwards, I said, you know, that would have taken me a paragraph of dialogue, a red face, probably some vein showing up in my forehead. And you asked a simple question. Are you getting better or are you getting better? I would have needed an editor. And then I would have needed an interpreter to tell the kid, you know, you got to work harder. So, you know, I mean, there's, again, I wasn't perfect. No, the good Lord, you talk to anybody. Um, and, and I love winning, but um, also, you know, I, I fear losing, which isn't the right, right approach, but that's just the way, you know, it's the way I'm wired is I just don't, I fear losing. So I want to do everything I can to be prepared to be on the positive side. But, but there's games we've lost where I go, man, that, we threw everything at them and the kitchen sink and they're pretty good you know, <laughs> they got us, you know? And so, uh, anyway, that's, that's, uh, a lot of those things are just about telling kids to get another path. Cause 
the, you know, anyway, Ken's, Ken's ministry is it's called gamesover.org. You can find it on the web, gamesover.org. And what happened is Ken realized when he retired from the NFL after 12 years starting at left tackle for Green Bay, um, that uh, 80% of the NFL players when they retire are broke or divorced within one year of leaving the NFL. And so he started a program basically mentoring people how to, when you leave the NFL, how do you become a human being? You know, the day you're, you're retired or you're fired, you know, there's not 60,000 people applauding you getting out of bed in the morning. You know, it's, you got to join the real world. And, and that's, that's what he, he gets mentors for them in cities and things like that. It's really a cool, cool deal. That's awesome. Yeah. There's, we read about that with a lot of sports too, right? Where the, after the professional career ends, the, the, the next chapter of their life can be pretty awful if they're not, I don't know if they haven't had good mentors or if they haven't been well-trained or if they didn't have maybe good coaches who were actually like looking out for the human being behind them. And I think that's like what kind of our goal as coaches is, is to make sure that whatever the goal is for the kid's life or the football team or the soccer team or whatever, um, that we're, we're trying to make them into better people. Yeah. And that's it. And then also having, you know, I, I talk about kids, I just say, you know, it's like a motorboat going across a calm lake is, you want to create that big wake behind you so you have options, create options, you know. So keep training to be the NFL player, but also, you know, Ken graduated from USC with a master's in, I forget what his master's was in, but that was five years. So, I mean, this guy is squared away. He has his doctorate and, uh, you know, has been teaching at uh, the community college in Bend. But, uh, you know, he's just a great guy and uh, uh, smart and, and still mentoring people. All right, so you coached your your last years in 2007, and then you became a principal. So you kind of stepped down from the the head coaching role. Um, over your time as a head coach, you had a, a very nice record, a really good playoff record. I think you guys won a couple of state titles. Uh, if you you know at the it's all done, and uh, someone asks uh, one of your former players, like what was what was Bob McCauley like? Like what kind of a coach was he? Well, you what know, would you hope that a player would say? Things, but <laughs> you know, I, I think they know that I was demanding, but I would hope that they know that I love them. And I would tell them that. And, uh, you know, I would tell them I love them. And, uh, also, uh, I tell them that I'm human, that if I get on your case at practice, uh, in front of everybody, I'm going to talk to you after practice. But if I'm having a bad day and things have gone wrong or I'm sick and whiny or whatever, and I yell at a kid or get on a kid and all of a sudden it's like, you know, he really didn't deserve that. Then I will call the team in at the end of that practice and apologize to that kid in front of the team. Just say, you know, I wasn't at my best. I yelled at Elliot here and, um, you know, I was wrong and he didn't deserve that. So I apologize to you, Elliot. And, uh, uh, I was out of line. So I just hope that you take that with you, man, that I love you. And, uh, uh, you know, that we have a better day tomorrow. I'll have a better day tomorrow. So my goal was to make it through a season, not having to do that. And it never happened. So. That's hilarious. So I had a, I had a coach on, um, he's probably one of the, the I don't know, I'd, I'd consider him on the, the best high school baseball coaches in the country list, but his name's Butch Chaffin. But he had mentioned how he uh, makes a big point to tell 
tell kids I love you, you know, I love you. And he talked about sometimes it, it can be a weird thing for like freshman boys because it's there's this like mass, this like fake masculinity yeah. of like, I can't tell another guy I love him. Did you find that? Did you find that high school teenage boys were like that, like when they'd first see you and then eventually they would change? Did they come right in open to it? Did they ever end yeah, up saying, you know, I love you back? Um, they did. We lost, uh, we lost, lost two state championships too, close games. And, uh, you know, afterwards, um, one time I remember I, I was super sick. I was like, and, uh, we lost, uh, to a team we had beaten, but they were so good Marist, but we'd beaten them for the league championship, but met them in the finals and, and we lost by four points, I think. But, you know, afterwards I was just telling the kids how proud I was of them. And, the team started telling me that they love me and just, they interrupted me and uh, yeah, you know, they get it. And it, it's, you, you know, you set the culture, you're the coach. And one thing I found as a principal or as a leader, you're communicating 24 hours a day, whether you know it or not. So if, if let's say a teacher's in the hallway and I'm walking down the hall and I got 17 things on my mind and I walk past that teacher and don't say something or acknowledge them, it bothers them. They're like, oh my gosh, he's pissed at me or he did, so, I, what did I do? You know what, I, well, I don't, is, did, did, does Bob say hello to you? Does he talk to you? Because he, he didn't even say anything to me. And I'm like, I didn't even know they were in the hallway, <laughs> you know? And um, I, I wouldn't even remember the incident, but I, I realized that. And so, you know, we're in the people business. And so we set the culture. If I'm going to walk down and 17 things on my mind is the culture I want, and I don't want people caring for each other, then that's the culture I'm going to get. If I'm going to walk down the hallway and say, how are you doing? Everything's going good. How are your boys doing? Good. Glad to hear it. You know, okay, I'll catch up with you later. You know, and that's, that's, you're, you're communicating what your culture is. So to say kid, to tell kids you love them, I do it in, I teach sixth grade now. I teach sixth graders how to write. Um, and I love it because all my corny jokes are good again. And, and so the way I look at it, every 48 minutes, I get a new audience and they're, they're, they're fresh, you know, they, they love entertainment and I love them, but I tell them, you know, I, you know, a lot of times I'll, uh, you know, I'll say things, they're, they're 11 and 12 years old. They're hilarious. And I'll sit there and I'll go, okay, get out of here, you knuckleheads. I love you. Have a good day. You know, something like that. Well, they, they get it. And, and so kids like coming up to my room and hanging out. Why? Because, well, you know what? I got stuff to do in the morning. But if you're sitting here, I'm going to talk to you because the reason I got a job is because I'm supposed to be helping raise you, you know? And so anyway, I think, I think, we get the culture we deserve. You know, I mean, it's a cliche, but. Well, Bob, I love having you on. <laughs> I knew you'd be great. Uh, my wife loved having you as the principal. She was so excited back in whatever it was, 2011, 12, when I, you were going to be the principal when I was a student teacher. And obviously you've had a wonderful career as a head coach for football and then being a principal of a couple of schools. And now, Living the life in Montana, coaching uh, or uh, teaching <laughs> the youngins how to read and write. Yeah, just yeah, just uh, you know, just enjoying that. They're they're a kick. They're they just think life's uh, you know they love performing at that age too. So they're always on. It's it's uh, I every day I get up and think I'm the luckiest guy in the world and uh, mean it. 
you know, so. Well, you've had a huge impact on a lot of kids and still are, and hopefully this conversation helps a few coaches. I'll link your uh, email in the show notes too so that um, when, when coaches listen to this and if they want to get in contact with you, they can shoot an email over to your way. So Sounds good. Okay, thanks. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Max. And that's Bob McCauley. What an awesome human being. Love him to death. Hope you found some nuggets in there that you can use right away. Um, huge thanks to Coach McCauley for jumping on the call and letting us dive into his brain. And thanks to all of you who tune in every single week. The club keeps growing. If you haven't yet, be sure to sign up and become a free member of the High School Coaches Club. You'll instantly join the premier national network of high school coaches, trainers, administrators, booster club members, parents, ah, you name it. And you'll also get the weekly newsletter takes about 90 seconds. You can find that link in the show notes. Thanks to everybody who's already joined up. Be sure to follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. Reach out to me, that's Max at HighSchoolCoachesClub.com or on Twitter at Mr. Max Price. If you or anyone you know would make for a great guest, you know what to do. Let me know. All right, that's it. You are awesome. You matter. I appreciate you. If there's anything more I can do for you, just holler. Thanks again. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.